Welcome to the Legendaries Podcast, where we talk about anime, games, news, and whatever else comes to our mind. Check us out on Twitter at LegendariesCast. Please give us a follow, give us a like, give us give us retweets. We're trying to reach as many people as possible. You know, you don't have to give us a donation. You don't have to pay a dime for this podcast. We don't expect that. We just need to spread the word. We just need to get it out there. That's all we're trying to do. You know, retweet us. Give us a review uh, of our podcast. Give it a listen. You know, we're working. We're developing, producing, editing. Stick with us. If you like anything you hear, stick with us. It'll, it'll only get better. Now, this week's episode, this anime that we're reviewing is going to be Mob Psycho. Now, how, how close did you get to the second season? Or did you get to the second season? Oh, man, I didn't get close. I probably made it... I made it about 10 episodes into the first season. Okay. Well, but I was pretty damn far. I was going through a lot of other stuff at the same time. So, I mean, pretty much is generally the same. Season two, um, a bit better. We'll just go over Mob Psycho as a whole. What do you think about Mob Psycho? I think it's I think it's a very good, very interesting anime. It's it's a little slow pace in the first season. It's it's interesting. It's quirky. It's very reminiscent of One Punch Man style, which is only to be expected. Yeah, for people who haven't even, heard, I, I assume if anybody's following us for anime, I assume you've watched some of the first season because it's been out. But listen to this clip real quick. <laughs> what a sight to behold! Look at all you pathetic dipshits. Let this be a lesson for those who think they're badasses. And I've got one piece of advice for the rest of your rotten lives. Try to live by walking on the side of the road, so you don't cause the strong ones you can't handle any trouble. See ya, brats! <laughs> Damn it! What was that about? Look! That's... some of this wait what are you i wasn't told anything about this kid having a brother with psychic powers let go of my brother or you'll regret it okay very much in this it's very much in the same vein as one punch man for sure it's the same people though it's uh if people who are huge fans of mob psycho probably know that it's uh by the same japanese manga artist who does one punch man and he goes by the weird pseudonym one i'm not even sure the artist's name he just goes by one but uh just like one punch man he, one punch man has a, a strange unnerving kind of super ability that surpasses literally everybody like, he's unbeatable. Literally unbeatable. He he's one punch. You're out. You're fucked. Right. Yeah, that's his whole premise. Is he is he is unbeatable, and and, and he is so unbeatable that he's bored. <laughs> yeah, and it's so so much the same vein. A mob takes the same premise, but in a more uh, psychic power level yeah. way. Well, the thing I found interesting about Mob was that he is so powerful, but he's so young. And he doesn't yeah. even understand how powerful he is. He uh, often refers to his mentor as being far more superior in power. Although this guy's 
an obvious con artist. Yeah. But he's so young and gullible, and he just wants to be accepted. I think that's the biggest part of the story is a teenage boy who is awkward, who has a tremendous amount of power, feels like he has no power, and just wants to be accepted. He wants to find his niche, right? He wants yeah. to find mm-hmm. a place to belong. And he, he wants friends. He wants a girlfriend. He wants to get stronger. Uh, every teenage boy that is going into manhood wants to run, wants to fight, wants to, you know, exercise. I want to get big. I want to get strong. I want to be, I want to be attractive. Yeah. That's the cool thing about this anime. It's very much, you're following this kid in his shoes. He's got goals. His character evolves. He gets better. He struggles. Literally, he's a weak kid. He's always relied on his psychic abilities, I assume. He's really weak at running, lifting anything. I mean, he's physically weak. But he joins a uh, physical fitness club to better himself. And he gets better. Yeah, and these guys, unlike most uh, animes where they're like, you're too small and puny and weak. Get out of here. They're like, oh, you want to improve yourself? Great. Come on. Yeah, they're very brother-brother. They, they yeah, take him yeah. under their let's, wings, for sure. Let's go running. And then he falls down and collapses. They pick him up and take him to the doctor, and they go back at it. Yeah. Uh, it's very uh, feel-good show, right? It's very... Yeah, and they're they're very protective of him. Uh, the, the people he runs into, he seems to make friends with most everybody. Although he still sees himself as this outsider yeah even the um con artist Regan, Regan, uh even he takes him kind of under his wing even though he's kind of abusing him a little i mean re- really if you think about it he's abusing him he's taking advantage of his power right but he still takes care of him he, he reminds him not to use his power against people you know and he really takes that whole thing to heart like, that's his whole mantra that's his uh with great power comes great responsibility don't hurt people yeah yeah, you can't use this against people because somebody could really get hurt. Uh, he has this big fight scene with another with another guy who has psychic powers, and this guy is just brutally beating on him, throwing him through the school, bashing walls, doing all kinds of crazy shit, trying to get Mob to do something back. And he's like, "Look, you need to really stop this. If somebody..." that isn't me is around, they could really get hurt. And eventually he pisses him off to the point where he finally lashes back out. Yeah. And if people don't know the whole reason why it's called 100 it's mob psycho 100, because it's like a percentage, you know, how, how emotionally unstable he becomes, how angry or whatever. And if he hits a hundred percent, he goes bonkers and beats the shit out of you. It's pretty fucking cool, actually. Every time he goes 100%, you know something awesome is about to happen. Now, season 1, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have actually seen this, because Season 1 was a popular title, even amongst non-anime fans. So a lot of people have seen this. It's probably on Hulu, for all I know. I haven't checked, but... But I, I think this one is very relatable, oh, yeah. uh, especially to a teen audience, where it's that same kind of, I'm a teen trying to find my place and I don't know how to fit in kind of thing. Yeah. Where he eventually, you know, before you know it, he's surrounded by people who actually care 
go out of their way to try to help him out. Yeah, and for the non-teen either, he beats some ass. He, the fight scenes are amazing. Like, there's, in season two, there's just scenes, over, I'd say it. Yeah. Yeah. There's this over-the-top ridiculous uh, attack from Regan, Regan, whatever, the, the mentor, where he, it's called self-defense rush, where he comes out, like, this guy's tr- detecting all the psychics, right? He, he can pinpoint their, wherever they are, no matter where they're trying to hide, he can pinpoint them. He feels their energy, and he's he's fighting all these different psychics at the same time. Regan comes out, and he says, self-defense rush, and he just starts pummeling the shit out of this guy. And he's like, oh my god, your power must be so unfathomable that I can't even detect you. and he's on the ground like no yeah and he's this guy's literally just a charlatan yeah it's hilarious it's one of the most hilarious he's not a charlatan in the fact that he can he can see spirits and things but he can't exercise anything he runs around with regular table salt throwing it at 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 spirits and they're just kind of laughing him off as a joke oh yeah but he's like he's got all these moves like salt toss move. I mean, like he's got his own moves, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Like the fact that he screams self defense right before he pummels him, just because he's not sure if it is self defense. But in case anybody else <laughs> right. is listening, he screams it really loud, which is an yeah. excellent example from season two. Like that keeps it like at an endearing level. It's it's funny. It's got mayhem, and people just can't resist that level of humor and awesome fighting it's, scenes. As far as adults go, I'd say the number one key to watching this is humor. Yeah. Uh, the weird anime style on the characters is a little off-putting. Yeah. But, but if you can look past that, I think there is a great story there. Yeah. Uh, from from season two, from season one, season two becomes a more rounded anime. It's a more fuller, and it's a more uh, quicker, energetic pace than the baseline of season one. Season one is a little slow. Like, I don't know if you got that from that or not. Like, because it's kind of building into the character and all that. And uh, they don't stray too far from the exorcisms and the unique kind of urban legends in season two. The pacing is way better and it's more focused. Um, it, it even gives you a bit deeper look into the horror of poss- of evil energy. So they get into that a little bit. What the evil that can happen from being psychic and uh, throughout the show there's like an increased level of tension as it kind of like progresses or in season one it feels very uh random ragtag there's moments of lull and moments of excitement i know in uh season one there's this build-up between him and his brother and i don't know if that comes to fruition i ain't made it quite that far it does indeed It, it, it blossoms into a new friendship Oh, okay. Because uh, there's there seems to be this uh, competitiveness. Yeah. A little bit of competitiveness between the brothers. The brother gets it, yeah, the brother gets it in the head that he's always been looked down upon and he realizes he has psychic power and they, and he starts trying to he starts thinking he's better than Mob. But then he realizes no, no he's not. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of accepts that and and that's a lot of the character development in Mob it extends past season one that we see and it kind of progresses further and further 
And, Ma, and that's pretty much the whole season two. Mob opens himself up to new experiences and he grows in new directions as he, he kind of learns to do good and to heal and not to give in to selfishness or despair, which he faces multiple times. And the entire nice. journey, uh, Mob's is all about the sense of himself, which is a kind of a deep and fulfilling journey if, you, if you're into that kind of drama. And it really entrenches you in the anime with him. It's because you kind of grow with him. You kind of you kind of feel his plight. You know, he, he kind of grows into his own power far more than in season one. Season two, man, he's season. He just grows so much further than season one. Season one, you see, you get glimpses into his ultimate power, but season two, wow, he grows a lot. And you, sheds you a to, lot of that fear. Oh yeah, he he drops a lot of his uh, lack of confidence. I think that's what held him back in season one is his lack of confidence and wasn't sure of himself. You see, like, like the scene you described where he's kind of getting bounced around and he's not really defending himself. He, he's just not very confident. He's not, he's not sure what to do in that moment. But season two, he's, he's got a firm grasp of who he is and what he should be. And you see the powers manifest towards the end of the season, season two. And the scenes are just, like a spectacle, like just like in One Punch Man, between a lot of the fights in there are like over dramatic and uh, like amazing to watch just by themselves. Like even if you didn't watch anything else, just the fights themselves, they're amazing. And Mob has his own scenes like that. So what what do you score the Mob Psycho One Hundred? I I hate to score this this early on into it, but I'm gonna say. I'm gonna give it a seven. Thank you, seven. I'm yeah, I'm not. Higher. I'm not into uh, the in-depth parts of the story yet, so it's hard for me to score. Mm-hmm. So later on, I may have, you know, I may change my mind later down the road. Okay. So just on his initial impression, up to episode ten, season one. Yeah. He's giving it a seven, right? Right. And for me, I've gotten a lot further. I give it an eight point seven. It's one of the one of the really good animes that are out. It's still it's it's really good. Fight scenes by themselves are worth watching. Um, there are other animes out there that we like. I like to talk about, but we're we're going to talk about Love, Death, and Robots. And I assume, yeah, Netflix. You have seen this. There's no way you didn't check this out, right? Yeah. So, I. I've watched the first four or five episodes just here and there, and it's really outer limits style, yeah. heavy metalish. If if you anyone out there is familiar with heavy metal, yeah, I mean you got to be familiar with it. I, I don't know. You know, you never know what people see, but like unless you've been hiding under a rock or some sort of fucking weirdo that's afraid of the human nipple, you've definitely seen. Love, Death, and Robots. Like, it's fucking amazing. Like, here's a little clip from the show just to get your mind jogging. Behold, the entertainment sphere! It's called a ball. I I know it's called a ball, but, you know, I'm trying to get into the whole we're experiencing these human things for the first time vibe. And uh, what did humans do with these things? Oh, man, what what didn't they do? They, they bounce them? That's it? 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. These were humans. Bouncing things was close to maxing out their cognitive range. No, but also sometimes they would take the ball and hit it with like a stick. What? When they misbehaved? Bad ball. Think about what you've done. Uh, when I watched this, reminded me a lot of manga, the studio. They put out like um, they put out Ninja Scroll. Like they brought over a lot of hard hitting anime. Which back then were a lot more violent, uh, had a lot of nudity. Like yeah, Ninja very Scroll. adult themed. Yeah, Ninja Scroll, there's a woman adult. practically being raped in it a couple of times, I think. Crying Freeman. I know, at least at the very beginning. Yeah, Crying Freeman, all kinds of uh, classics back then. And it's it reminded me of that and heavy metal as well. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of heavy metal influence from my standpoint. Yeah, definitely. Where there, there's individual anthology series of individual stories that kind of show you alternate worlds, alternate realities, and the people that live in those places. Yeah, just to give you guys a head up, this gave me a lot of fond memories of uh, my early childhood, so I might be scoring this a little high. But if you don't know what heavy metal is, it's it's definitely it's an animated movie. From 1981, so this is before I was born. Uh, I think it was definitely before you was born. So it's yeah. based on a magazine the same name, which I still subscribe to every once in a while. I got a bunch, and um, in the same vein, that movie, Heavy Metal, Love, Death, and Robots, is like a crazy step forward towards science fiction. Which Heavy Metal still was science fiction, but it had a mix of stories. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, there's like nothing wrong with the various voluptuous figures and nudity they put in there. Like, there's a lot. They go further than heavy metal, even. I think heavy metal must have felt restricted or something because there was nudity in it, but it didn't really go much further further than that. Um, no, there was uh, heavy metal had some nudity. There was sexual innuendo, but there's uh, no but, direct sex. Yeah, no, <clears throat> no, no, no crotch Yeah. No cross shots, no nothing like that. And not to not to say that this was pornographic in any way. The uh, love, death, and robots in no way is overall pornographic. Yeah, I think it was very taste tasteful, and it's like full frontal nudity shouldn't be something horrible. Like yeah, that's nothing. That's not sex. That's just the human body and the human anatomy, right? That gave. Equal measures to male and female, too. Yeah, and it's not... And oftentimes in this show, it's not used as a a means to convey any kind of hatefulness or any kind of derogatory statement. It's more or less just just showing off the the physique. Yeah, like the one time you see um, the penis, a thing that dangles between the legs... Um, it's from a vampire. No. <laughs> it's from a vampire, right? It's vampire it's penis. Yeah, vampire penis. People, this uh, this guy's running at them, and well, I mean, he doesn't have clothes, so why would his dick be hidden, right? Right. And, and, I, and it's not like one of those weird anime movies where they just don't have a dick, which is fucking weird <laughs> in its own, right? That's that's only that that only happens here in the states. Oh well, they go back and like remove the dick. <laughs> yeah, they. They clean, it up for, they clean it up for American TV. 
Get rid of this dick. We don't want to poke anybody's eyes out with this. Yeah, we we don't want to see no penises. And, and almost immediately, like the the Scottish chick, or I, I hate to mix the two, Irish chick, is is like fucking shooting him in the dick and blows it off, <laughs> which is great. You know, it's just hilarious. The use of nudity is like you know, it's just natural. You wouldn't even think twice about it if you watched the kind of shit we watched when we were kids. So, and this movie was produced by uh, David Fincher. And uh, Tim Miller, you know Tim Miller, right? The guy who did Deadpool. Right. Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm glad the guy is doing more stuff. I'm kind of disappointed he got kicked off the whole Deadpool thing just because he wanted to, uh, you know, have more money and do bigger things, which I think could have turned out really well. I mean, the Deadpool 2 was still fucking good. Well, there's there's hope for him to make a return, though. Shout out to the Juggernaut. I fucking love that they finally put the Juggernaut and gave him real presence on a movie. Instead of like, oh, fuck, yeah. you remember X-Men? Yeah. I'm the Juggernaut, I'm, bitch. What? I'm the fucking Juggernaut. <laughs> that was, I, that's so terrible. They, I love the, the fact that, uh, that the Juggernaut, they, they almost made him seem kind of human. He's like, he's like, I'll take this little fat boy under my wing. Yeah. You know, I thought that was hilarious. I'm glad they put the money into the CGI because, like, in the X-Men, man, they low-budgeted that shit so hard that it's almost a B-movie, right? Right. And um, the only, the biggest fucking problem I have with it is, like, the length of the various episodes. Some of them are three minutes long and or six minutes long. They're really incredibly short. And that's a huge disappointing. I mean, but then some of the episodes are really amazing. They have like a high level finish. You probably haven't gotten this far, but the the salesman and the the salesman, uh, the father and son in the desert, who like they're talking about how ghosts. How, why is it always just humans, right? What if uh, creatures from millions of years ago had ghosts too? And then as they're talking about it, these ghosts come out from whatever metaphysical neither realm from millions of years ago, they kind of like appear in the air. The water doesn't appear. They're kind of like ghost spirits of the fish. Huh. And uh, they're millions of years old creatures, uh, dinosaurs, basically. And it was back when the earth was entirely inhabited by sea creatures, right? And it just gets weird. It's it, it's a really good tale between the two. Um, kind of a bit of a horrible the- story. The biggest thing about this series is it's every episode is thought provoking on its own level. A unique, yeah. And um, uh, you kind of have that one episode where it's kind of the snake eating its own tail, mm-hmm. where this you kind of see this thing play out, and then at the end of it, it starts to play out all over again. Yes, some <clears> of them <throat> are really amazing. Um, all that you're talking about the. The guy and the chick. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, that yeah. was so... That was interesting. Yeah, I don't want to dig into it too much. I don't want to give away too much on yeah. this. People need to uh, see these for themselves. These are amazing. Yeah. Like, it, it, the various... They're so varied. so unique. Like, the mecha farmers and then versus the invasion of the bugs. And then you got other oddities, like, what if scenarios with Hitler? Like, it goes through, like, multiple scenarios. Like, what if Hitler died by a uh, cart? What if Hitler died by a meteor? You know, it keeps going on. And, like, there's one scene where Hitler's getting a blowjob. It's fucking crazy. Like, the episodes are so weird and so unique. 
Um, it's just amazing. I like the whole thing. What, what do you give it a score as? I'm going to score this one pretty high. I'm going to say, I'm going to say at least an eight. An eight. See, I, I would sure. score much higher than you. I'm giving it a whole nine point one just because it's so fucking similar to heavy metal. I will tell it. you this much, listeners. It's going to be very rare for for you to hear either one of us give anything a ten. Yeah, we're never. Nothing that. It would have to be flawless to flawless. get a ten. Let's talk about uh, a little bit of D and D. I'm sure everybody okay. in their audience probably should. If they don't play, they should play D and D. And um, recently, Keith Baker, um, backed by Rudy Rutenberg, Greg Marks, Sean Merwin, Derek Neckritz, uh coin up, Damn. have produced a new su- supplement to uh, Eberron. If you don't know what Eperon is, it's it's a campaign setting. It's almost sci-fi in nature, um, which Keith Baker was a lore director on. So he's he's a legit um, staff. And a lot of the guys backing him have actually written uh, mechanics for 5e. So they're, they're a whole crew of people who know what they're doing, you know. And this is a fairly cheap supplement, too. It's like, I think it's 20 bucks. Um, Eberron's... Uh, to me, it feels very sci-fi, but the author refers to it as a noir take on D and D. It's presented as if uh, what magic is if it was extremely plentiful, like in excess. Like there's lightning rails that run on elemental power, which are basically trains. There's all kinds well, this, of weird sci-fi. This kind of this supplement kind of takes us into the the gritty, the grittier parts of the game, right? Yeah. Uh, showing us, showing us how the characters interact, uh, how they form in different societies within the world of Ebera. Yeah, he he dives. There was a supplement before this. Um, I don't remember the supplement's name offhand, but it's a five E official supplement um, that kind of touches on Eberron. So this this is his expansion on it. I guess he felt it wasn't a significant enough i'm not sure uh but ebron is very much does keith baker mention it and talks about it he talks about it as if it was like an indiana jones type world noir take on it so if anybody remembers whispers of the vampire's blade supplement for uh third edition it very much gives off vibes like that like again another thing keith baker worked on these these where the adventures are kind of like very chase oriented very james bond indiana jones um like the you're chasing a spy in that supplement and then you're chasing him by a lightning rail and you're besieged by all these other various factions and that are trying to get a hold of the spy and uh take back what he stole so it, it's a very eberron was always a very dyma- dynamic very uh, adventurous campaign setting where unlike these other other settings are very i feel more slow pokish Kind of get into it slow. Uh, yeah, the Eberron's always presented. The world is presented to you as fully formed and functional. Yeah, uh, far more closer to functionality than a medieval setting. You still have your swords and sorcery, but imagine a world where instead of the industrial revolution, we have a magical revolution where magic starts to take form in all facets of life. 
Yeah, it's very, very cool. Like, the uh, there's a little city that just levitates in the air, which is freaking cool because it's just levitated by magic. But just to get back to Morgrave's Miscellany, um, which is the, the supplement we're talking about, this book uh, offers new archetypes for all 12 classes presented from uh, new Eberron Prestige classes. Very similar to earlier editions. Um, everything from Extreme Explorer Barbarians, New Wizard Schools, um, New Warlock Pact. You know, there's something for everybody in there. And then there's even uh, more variety to the races, um, sub-races for the Shifter uh, Thiefling. Um, yeah, new Dragon Marks. Yeah, Dragon Forged. That's cool. Yeah, lots of... Lots of new mechanics to play with in this world. Yeah, it's and it gives tons more flavor, more lore, detailing uh, the book. It goes into each classes. It gives character concepts. Um, it's just in depth. It's very thick. It's very, it's very rich with material. The layout and the editing is pretty good. You know, it's a great book. It's got uh, whole collections of lectures and lessons from Morgrave University. I mean, he goes all down into it. I mean, I assume he probably had this sitting on a shelf somewhere. You know, and he just, well, shit, I might as well just put it in a supplement and put it on the DM's guild. Yeah, which this, you can is find probably, this is probably stuff he's worked on for the last, for the last five to ten years. Uh, I mean, Eberron was introduced in, what, three, five? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's been out there for a setting. while. Yeah, it's my favorite setting, by the way. It's just, I've always loved that setting. It's like, because I've always, you know, you always think about what, what would happen if magic became prevalent. Because it seems, it's like a resource. It's like, uh, it's like nuclear energy or something. You get nuclear cars and nuclear warships and yada, yada, yeah. yada. It's kind of in the same vein of... Full Metal Alchemist, right? Yeah. So instead of science being the major force driving the world forward, alchemy was the major force in that in that world. This is along the same vein as mm -hmm. instead of science, we have magic. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. And, uh, and my love for Eberron might be speaking here, but I give it a good uh, 8.8. .8. It's it's definitely amazing. I think it's a fucking amazing for the price, twenty bucks. I mean, come on. Yeah. So I give it a good uh, eight point eight. Worth checking out, people. If you, if I mean, if you love Eberron at all, like I know we said we weren't going to give any tens, but if you love Eberron, this this might as well be a ten for you, because there isn't too many dm guild supplements that are written by the actual authors of the world themselves this is written by the actual author so i mean you can't get any more legit and official than that i'm kind of confused why it isn't an official product in fact it doesn't make any sense to me it should be i don't understand why that's another thing we could talk about like i don't understand why dnd hasn't put out any other settings i mean they put these little they did put these little settings out but they're, they they don't feel official. They're kind of like, hey, look, we got some stuff for you to play with, but it doesn't feel fleshed out. And this this really well, helps to flesh out what they put out already. Fifth edition, <clears throat> fifth edition has this this standoffish take 
they, they'll release some material and then they want to leave it as open as possible so that those who are running the games can kind of form it and build it in their own image. Yeah. But a lot of people don't want that. They need... If, if you're one of those people that needs everything plotted out, all the little details, I would say this would be a great supplement for you. If yeah. you're one of those people that just wants to wing it as you go, and you just want to use this magic world where I can have these other toys to play with, sure, why not? Yeah, and just uh, make people aware, this book is 162 pages. It's actually $14.99, not 20 bucks. $14.99 for 162 pages. I mean, damn, that's a deal. That is a well, deal. Well, 162 pages and potentially hours worth of of fun and excitement for you and your friends. Yeah, that's worth it. I mean, that's a buy. I don't like if we weren't using a rating system, that's a buy. That's a buy from me. Yeah, you know? it's definitely a buy. Um, um you could even even if you weren't going to use everything in this book and you're not going to be able to use everything in this book in one shot. Yeah, true. So there is replay value for this book as well. You may see something you may see something in there that inspires you to do a certain storyline as a DM and then later as you're doing that you may run into things in that book that inspire other storylines that can break off, branch off and just endless possibilities with this supplement. Yeah, that's another thing. They definitely give you um uh, a lot of flavor and uh, information to do a kind of fantasy noir, which is his favorite thing, uh, and how to expand it into the Eberron campaign and set the tone. Because Eberron, Eberron's unique in the method that it sets its own tone and pacing and everything else. Like a lot of a lot of games out there, you, you dungeon dive, right? Yeah. Everybody dungeon dives. You know, it's slow, methodical. You go through the cave, you kill, you know, you go to one room, you go to the next room. Eberron's a totally different beast. Like, chasing a wagon. like Somewhere the, in the dungeon, you're going to fight the big bad. Yeah. Eberron's in totally an Eberron different. setting, that's not always the case. Uh, you, you might see the big bad at the beginning of the thing. You might be chasing the big bad. He might be trying to get away. He's, you're chasing him on a, a carriage wolves suddenly start coming out from the woods trying to eat your horse while you're chasing this guy. When your horses go down, you duck and dive and roll as one of your team members come and picks you off the ground one-handed and throws you on his horse. It's a much faster pace, more intense campaign. And it's not about dungeon diving. There are dungeons, but they're, um, that's not usually the method they use. Sometimes it's about murder mysteries. It's very noir. Yeah. And that's what he was going for. And this yeah, gives you a I lot can, of notes on how to do that. I can remember we played one... We played one in 3-5 where you're walking across a bridge and this this uh, person comes out and just tries to like throw you off a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> that and that's great. the beginning of your story. Like, you're going into town and this crazy person comes out of nowhere and tries to throw you off a bridge 
Yeah, that I that is an iconic moment from Eberron for sure. All right, so that is a buy from I think both of us. Um, oh yeah, we're gonna move on to Disney acquiring Fox. This is a bit of news. Hello there. So I'm interjecting here at this point in the podcast, and you're probably wondering why. Well, we seem to have lost a chunk of our podcast audio. I'm unsure why. Technical issue. Unsure what happened there. Um, but at this point in the podcast, we're discussing the acquisition Fox made of the Fantastic Four from Marvel, sold to them by Stan Lee. Now, the conversation is kind of rolled towards the the clause in the contract that states that Fox must make a a Marvel movie, a Fantastic Four movie. Uh, every X amount of years. It's uh, nobody. I don't know if anybody knows the specifications, but at the very beginning, uh, Fox invested, I think, thirty-six thousand dollars, some some ridiculously low sum. They hired shitty actors, shitty costumes, shitty background, and made a movie because they were about to lose the Fantastic Four franchise, and well, they showed. Stan Lee, the movie, at after post, ter- you know, petrified by the the quality and the lack thereof, he was uh, flipping his lid. He was a, he was worried that the the release of the movie would have a negative effect on the Fantastic Four franchise. Um, because Marvel was struggling at that point, and a dive in their sales could really hurt them. So he let them keep it. And the conversation continues from there. And picks up right here. And then they're like, well, let's shuck some money into this and make something or we're going to lose it. Yeah, and, and oddly enough, it only applies... I think it might only... The, the clause might only apply to Fantastic Force for some reason. I think it's because Fantastic Four is actually one of the biggest cornerstones of uh, Marvel. It's like one of the first uh, Marvel families... Um, and that he probably had a lot of attachment to it. And he was trying to get it made. Still, to this day, we don't have a real Fantastic Four movie. You know? And um, yeah. Disney, I don't know if anybody knows, but Disney owns, I think, 200 and something news stations. And earlier in the podcast, when I was talking about how Disney puts out their own reviews and it buffs up their uh, review aggregation scores... That's what I'm talking about. They own something like 263 new studios. Last yeah. I checked. So when the people paying you come in and say you need to do a movie review on this movie, yeah, you're you're not gonna go. This movie sucked. Don't yeah. go watch it. Yeah, you're gonna because get shit you quick. you want to get paid. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That that kind of shit skews um, the whole process and. When you go to see a movie and you, you see all these reviews, I mean, I, I use reviews before I see a movie too, right? I'm, I'm yeah. not oblivious to review scores. I use them to determine whether or not it's good. Like it's got to be over a certain percentage or I won't even go see it. It's got to be 70% or better. But oftentimes, if the trailer's good enough, I'll look into it. I'll read into it. Maybe Disney's full. Maybe, you know, all these ratings are full of shit. Maybe the critics don't know what they're talking about. You know, and I'll go see it anyway. And that's that's the issue with these companies owning too much. Disney's not only picked up 
these properties, but they picked up uh, 30% of Hulu, which gives them 60%. Yeah, they're actually at 60% control of Hulu stock. That's insane. I mean, it makes sense though, right? uh, Let's let's look at it like, are they just going to push their weight with that 60% or are they just going to finish out and buy it up? I think they're just going to, I don't know who owns the remaining uh, percentage. I'm assuming they're going to push their way around because I assume that Disney's putting out a streaming service called Disney plus. It's supposed to launch sometime this year. And I can't imagine. I, I assume they're going to take Hulu, rebrand it, flip it, and call it Disney Plus. If, if nothing else, you take Hulu and you you advertise your stuff all over it, or either way we're going to be looking at some big changes on Hulu programming. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you think they're going to sell it off? I mean, either they're going to do their own streaming service or they're going to change Hulu. It just makes sense to run two streaming services, right? Well, yeah. Because Disney, Disney's all about those big budget movies. And they don't really understand the the consumers that are going to these streaming services, what they're looking for and what they want. So if if you're smart, if Disney's smart, and we know they're not stupid, I mean, but if they're really smart, you take you take these people at Hulu, you dissect what they're doing, you learn from them, and then you integrate that into your own streaming server. Yeah, I mean... While you're still making money off of what they're doing over there. I feel like they could just change the name of Hulu, slap on Disney Plus, and then just change the branding, right? I mean, they already have... If everybody... I assume nearly everybody has Netflix by now. I mean, there's all those Marvel shows on there. I mean, they can continue the runs. Daredevil, um, Iron Fist, more like Iron Shit, but uh, then... You have Luke Cage and uh, Jessica Jones. I mean, yeah. they could literally flip that over onto Disney and pick up a whole audience almost immediately because a lot of people do like those shows. Um, to me, they've kind yeah. of dropped off the end a little bit. Daredevil's still good. Luke Cage. Well, you're yeah. not going to get the same shows, though. You know, you take them from Netflix and slap them into a different into a different streaming service and under the Disney brand you're not getting the same material uh, you mean like not the risque not the yeah. blood not the sex you're not going to see a legitimate Punisher on a Disney channel see I don't know because I mean they're produced by the same company technically now I see what you're saying they're gonna if they put it on a streaming service labeled Disney are they really going to have all that blood, sex, and... Yeah, know? that's not because, happening. Yeah, because the Disney name is very PG. It's not even PG-13. It's very PG. So you, you might be right about that. And Disney's done some dark things, but it's never, like, 
it's never right in your face dark. Yeah. It's always behind the curtain dark, right? Yeah. That's kind of worrying, actually. The whole exaggerated Disney experience is too much. It's like, it's like beating people with blankets or something. You know, it just doesn't work for a lot of movies. And that can really destroy a huge portion of her cultural cornerstone, right? All these movies, all these, like, Deadpool. Like, Deadpool, Deadpool 2 felt a little, um, neutered, to put it best. Toned down. Yeah, it was a little toned down from Deadpool 1. It definitely felt that way. Like, they try to pretend it wasn't with a lot of, uh, different scenes, but it definitely was toned down because Marvel owned it by, I mean, Disney owned it by then. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going to, it's probably going to have a lot of effect on what we see. It could probably really have a heavy effect on Deadpool even. Yeah, it's going to have a heavy effect. And it's, I don't know. It's going to be, hmm. Like, that's why I like Netflix so much, because they don't give a shit. Like, I mean, we were all excited when Disney got Star Wars. When we first heard Disney had Star Wars, we were all excited, because Star Wars has always been PG, PG PG-13 in nature. Yeah. So, how bad could they really fuck it up, is what we were all thinking. I mean, we were thinking they couldn't fuck it up, but... They yeah, did, and they they did. That but they're movie. they're they're taking steps to try to, from what I understand, they're trying to take steps to remedy to, all that. Yeah, to try to turn the tide on like, that. That movie was so bad that I feel like Disney could go back and retroly pretend it never existed and re-release the second movie. <laughs> Fixed, you know what I mean. And I don't. I don't think a vast majority of people are going to argue with it, but it's yeah. too late. You know, you can't. If if you're if you're going to make an apology movie, just make this last one so epic that the second one doesn't matter. Yeah, that that director for this the Last Jedi, what an asshole! Like he specifically intentionally dodged every expected turn on purpose he turned Luke Skywalker into fucking Luke Genocidist or whatever the fuck he's he fucking raped her childhood he put a bag over its head raped it and we are not happy that was fucking disgusting I wouldn't say raped my childhood my childhood's still intact fuck Fuck him he doesn't have that kind of power uh, he raped Star Wars. That's fucking he doesn't have that kind of power so over me. My childhood's still intact. I, I suppose, but he destroyed mine. That that movie was but, a life destroyer. I bet you a lot of people came out of that movie bad. thinking the same thing. Remember when we went to see it and we came out and you went, what do you think? And I said, I've got a lot to think about. Think about. There was a lot there to absorb. A lot of it was weirdness to... Kind of that wrap my head around. A lot of it didn't make sense. It was and it was in a, like there was this, it was too commercialized. That's what it was. You know that's the problem with Disney. 
they got too far up this guy's ass or something. He like they introduced it. I don't even remember those stupid creatures near on the ship. That was pure promotion for fuzzy creatures that they were gonna sell for dolls. Oh, the fuzzy penguin dog things. Yeah, that was just a commercial in a movie because they were planning on selling those. That's so fucking dumb. You don't do that. You don't put a product into a movie specifically so you sell it. You watch the movie and then see what you can sell from the movie. Don't don't change the narrative. Don't change the story. Don't change the plot line. Don't change anything for a product. Don't intentionally add something so you can have a product. That's so fucking dumb. And that's, that the whole movie suffers from that. The whole movie suffers from commercialization. The guy interjects another plot. He, he puts in another plot into the movie with Finn and the girl. That plot line is so... It was supposed to break off and generate a uh, another line of revenue with another set of movies with a different set of characters. That's what that was. See, that's another commercialization. That's why the movie makes no fucking sense and why it's so bad. They're interjecting so many commercial products into a movie. And that was so dumb. You know, it was such a bad idea. Whoever thought that should be fired. Like, I, I can't believe they kept the woman, the producer. I can't believe they kept her. That's, they should have fired her immediately. That movie was that bad. To try to inject so much commercialization into a fucking Star Wars movie? Why? Why? You didn't need it. You know, that's what Disney's good at. It's so dumb. Like, the plot, there's so many varying plots in that movie. It's because they're trying to sell other things. You can't have a commercial in a fucking movie. That makes no sense. Anyway, I forget what we're fucking talking about. Oh, Disney acquiring Fox. Yeah. So what do you what do you say? Is that good or you think it's bad? I think this is going to have its plus sides and its downsides. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing. Plus side, all the Marvel toys are pretty much in one bag now. Yes. So, no more, no more little hints and and things about what about that group of people on the you know on the other side of the planet that nobody's seen in these movies because we don't have the rights to them. Now there's going to be more of what we like coming at us especially after Endgame comes out they they get to basically reboot right they're mm-hmm. going to restart things so why not take these new toys and start a whole new thing yeah moving forward oh I'm sure they've already got a, I'm sure they're already fucking in production you know what I mean they've oh, already yeah. jumped on it and um, on the news Let's, front, at least they haven't bought Fox News. Like I can't imagine. They haven't bought Disney. Fox News. They haven't bought the the like Business. the T V series. Yeah. So Simpsons is Go ahead and breathe a sigh of relief. So far, as I know, Disney can't touch those. I think they did buy the Simpsons, if I'm not mistaken. Did they? Yeah, they they literally they bought their entire entertainment lineup, which Ooh. 
and they own uh, FX Network and Na- National Geographic Partners, which I don't even know what's on well, those. I don't. I know what's on Fox uh, FX, but I don't know what's on National Geographic. I don't know what you're going to do with National Geographic that ain't already being done. I mean, uh, <laughs> all that's about is exploration and. Well, National Geographic's gotten into this weird state where they're doing a lot of UFO and Bigfoot searching for weird stuff. Yeah, I mean... But... It's just so weird. I mean, it's not only a deal in the U.S. They had to approve that internationally because this is such a huge merger that it's, like, Yeah, it's far-reaching. It's fucking nutty. It's just so huge. You know? But I think we can see some good things come out of there. There's going to be... It's going to be rough and tumble over the next five years or so. But I think we're going to see some good stuff come out of this as well as some bad stuff. Yeah, and the weird thing is uh, Fox sold these because they feared the bottomless wallets of Netflix, Amazon, and Apple to spend on shows. And Fox just couldn't compete. They were afraid that at one point they just wouldn't be able to compete with them anymore. So they saw the opportunity and they jumped on it, basically. They can't compete. And and the reason why is because where's all the -the out-of-the-box thinkers going? They're going to these streaming services where they can where they can do things like love, death, and robots. Mm-hmm. And they can do things that are out of the box and edgy and express the stories they want to express without having to without having to be chained down by commercialism. Uh, so when Disney, when Disney starts gaining control in that arena, you're going to see a lot of changes in the programming because, just like we were going over with Star Wars, it's going to start getting chained down with the commercialism. You know, it's kind of scary that these companies are becoming so big, big that billions of dollars are exchanging hands. Like, it's a, it's a bad thing. It's in general a bad thing because... One person controlling too much. I mean, look at, like, let's look at the news stations, right? There's like three or four, three or four. Back in, you know, the seventies, sixties, there was thousands. Now there's three or four. That's it's becoming. We're being drip fed, you know, drip fed um, news, media, culture, all guided by sometimes one person like I think three of the four is owned by well two of the four is owned by one guy one's owned by uh, the Amazon Jeff Bezos or whatever and then you got Fox News owned by um, Murdoch yeah there's too much influence for one company to have over an entire population population especially since they legalized um making conglomerates of small local stations. That used to be illegal at one point. It used to be illegal to buy up a lot of the music stations and uh, radio stations, but now they made it legal. 
So you know, you got this huge corporate entity with their own agendas being pressed upon the populace. Like a lot of the news stations just repeat the same fucking uh, script that's handed out by one company. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks their local news is local. It's not. Fucking assholes writing scripts for the little local stations and giving it to you and then feeding it to you. And, uh, yeah. That's not to say that some of the stuff on your local news isn't yeah, locally, locally farmed, but... You just can't tell. You don't know what uh, agenda is. The, the bigger... The bigger issues on your local stations are being pushed off, being yeah, fed from one source. Yeah, sometimes you know, local news might get pushed off for whatever your big company wants, which some the some of the fucking companies are nuts. Like if you look into their background, they're completely psycho. But that's a whole other topic. Um, we're gonna end it here. We both agree that Disney acquiring Fox is. A mixed bag. It's yeah, not, it's both good and bad. Like four thousand people have already been fired, I think, because of the merger. That's not yeah, good. That's that's already bad. <laughs> yeah, that is not good. So I mean, I feel bad for those people. Um, uh, you know, it's a mixed bag. Anyway, follow us at Legendary's Cast uh, on Twitter. Help us retweet. Help us get more followers. If you if you actually listened all the way to the end of this and heard me say that. Instead of at the beginning where it should have been, fucking props to you and help us out because you're yeah. apparently a fan. Thanks for hanging in there. Yeah. Good job. You get a prize. I don't know what it is. Pick it from your own pantry. Um, we'll sign off here. See you later.